praising our Savior all the day long. We're going to do that today. I'm looking forward to tonight. What a beautiful song this morning. What a great day of worship. God is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the assurance we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the intimacy with you that is expressed in that song. That we would be filled with your goodness. That we would be lost in your love. Lest we be lost in this world. Draw us near to you, Lord. As we draw near to you. As we open your word. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. How high are your hopes? My hopes are high today as we draw close uh, this next weekend to the celebration of Independence Day. It occurred to me this week, I have such high hopes for our country. I have high hopes for the church of Jesus Christ in our world, our church for you and for me, because I, I would love to see God's great plan fulfilled for all of us. And how would that happen? What would it take for God's plan for our lives, for His great purpose to actually be fulfilled in our lives? There's only one way. We will have to return to Him. And how do we get back to God? We'll have to come prepared to give Him our very best worship and gratitude for the gift of His very best in His Son, Jesus Christ. But the good news is when, when we return, he promises to return to us. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I love the story of the older man and woman who were sitting in their pickup truck together after 50 years of marriage living together out in the country. And uh, she said to him, you know, I remember when we used to sit closer together than we do now. She said, I remember when it took two of us to drive this truck, you know, and she was sitting on one side of the truck and he on the other. She was going on and on about how this was a symbol of the distance in their marriage. And finally he looked at her and smiled and said, I haven't moved. <laughs> I'm where I've always been. If you want to get close, just come over. And I'm reminded of that because I believe that God places it on us. He is the unchanging, immutable God. He is where He has always been. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if there is distance between us and God, He has not moved. Let us return to Him. Would you open your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. We've been studying in Malachi uh, for these uh, many weeks now, and we come to our final message in Malachi uh, this week. We got a little out of order last week as I talked about fathers, and now I want us to conclude our series. And next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about heaven. I'm going to talk about what heaven is going to be like, home free, and then I'm going to talk about what we're going to be like in heaven from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I look forward to sharing those messages with you. Let's stand together. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room or room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You may be seated. The Bible has always been for me a meeting place with God. It is great to uh, open the Scriptures and to hear the voice of God speak to us, and in this case, to listen in on an ancient dialogue between God and His people. In fact, if you read the book of Malachi, and I would encourage you to read it, what you discover is there's a sort of ongoing dialogue, and God will say something and the people will answer, and most often they answer, how? And their spirit is not always right. You get the sense that it's more like them talking back to God than talking to God. The communication is a little bit one way from God to them. But if we listen closely, what we discover in this passage is looking back a couple of weeks in our study is that they have said, where is the God of justice? And God has said, I am here. And if you want justice, I will bring justice. But let me just be clear. He said, I will bring justice for all. So wherever there is sin, I, the God of justice and holiness, will confront that sin. Now, if you're the one being oppressed, that's good news for you because I'm going to set that right. But if you're the one who's oppressing others, that's not such good news because I'm going to set that right. And on the heels of that, where he just lists the sins that he is going to judge, then he says in verse 6, I, the Lord have not changed. I do not change. When God says he's unchangeable, he's not saying I'm like a rock. He's saying I'm dependable. I'm reliable. You can count on me. In in contrast with your sporadic, fickle love, my love is constant and consistent. And you can depend on this. The fact that I do not change means that you have not been destroyed. Because God says, I am the kind of God who so loves that I don't want to destroy you. In fact, what I want, he says, is for you to return to me. And if you ever do, if you ever come back to me, God says, I will come back to you. I will return to you. I have not moved, but you have turned from me. But the good news, the good news of this passage is God is saying, even if you're a long way away from me, even if you've never felt farther from me, you can return to me. And the minute you do, I will return to you. And they say, how do we return to you? Now, the best part of me wants to think they're saying, okay, how do we do it? We want to come back. When I read the whole book of Malachi, I think what they're saying is, how would people like us need to get closer to you, God? I thought we were all okay. And God says, here's the deal. You have not kept my commandments. Your forefathers didn't keep my commandments, and you have not kept my commandments. And specifically, he's mentioned a lot of things in this, in this book of Malachi that they've not done. Remember, they brought the worst 
Not the very best of their offerings to God. They brought the blind and the crippled and the lame and the sick animals to offer to the Lord on the altar. Remember, in their relationships, they've broken faith with each other. They've broken faith in their relationships in marriage. And he says, you have not brought your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And because of that, he says, you're not experiencing the blessing I want you to experience. Now, the minute I read this, maybe like you, I think, wow, I have heard preachers misuse this passage. I've heard preachers say, now, if you will bring your tithe, you will immediately become rich. And uh, this is how it's going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of like the Home Depot thing. You can do it and God can help. But that's that's not what Malachi is saying. What Malachi is saying is you need to understand that God is more willing to return to you than you are willing to return to Him. That God is more willing to bless you even than you want to be blessed. And not only will God bless you, but He will bless others through you so that the nations will know that you are blessed and they also will seek the Lord. It is a beautiful picture of the way God wants us to relate to Him. And here's sort of the capsule truth of it. If we will give God everything He asks from us in every area of our lives, He will give us everything He has for us. Now that's Malachi's teaching. Now fast forward to the New Testament and discover that in Jesus Christ, God has already given us everything that He has for us. So wouldn't we, in gratitude, give God everything He asks from us? Now for the Israelites, what that meant was to get close to God again, they had to go back to the place where they departed from Him. That truth is real for you and I as well. For them, it was a financial issue. They just weren't doing what God had commanded them to do. Deuteronomy chapter 14, they were supposed to bring one-tenth of what they had to the Lord as a, as a, a gift of gratitude to Him. This is what they were supposed to do. Maybe, maybe you have that part figured out, but my question is, at what part in your life and my life have we departed from God? And until we go back to that place and return to Him, We will never experience all that God has for us. I mean, it has a financial component, but it's much bigger than that, isn't it? What is God asking us to do? And are we doing that in response to His great love revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ? Just two thoughts from this passage. The first one is, if we refuse to give to God everything that He asks from us, we will create distance between us and God. You see it there in verse 7. He says, your forefathers did it and you've done it. You've turned away. You've turned away from my decrees. You've not done it. And so you've got this distance there and you're not close to me, he says, but it's a distance that you have created. And they say, well, how have we done this? How do we return to you? And he says, well, here's the deal. You've created the distance because you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, some years ago, I think when Lester Collins was here, a friend of his was a, a pastor named Jack Taylor. My brother was a member here at the time, and Jack Taylor stood up to give a testimony, and he stood at the pulpit, not this pulpit, but one like it, just right over there, and said, some of you may remember this, you people who are stealing from God, how does that feel? We didn't bring Jack back today, but I just want you to see that Malachi says that to the people. He says, you've robbed God. And we think, well, we wouldn't even steal from people. We're not even the kind of people who, who would steal from other people, so Will a man rob God? The easy answer, no. 
Nobody would rob God. I mean, we can't rob God. I mean, we, we wouldn't even rob other people. But I have heard of, you have heard of as well. I've known people through the years in churches who embezzled from the church. I've, I've heard stories. I've known people in former congregations. Later, I would find out that they were stealing from the church. And you just hear that and go, wow. I mean, that takes a lot of nerve. To, I mean, to steal from God but what he says is when we refuse to give to God all that he wants us to give and in Deuteronomy chapter 14 he just makes this clear that that we're supposed to bring they were supposed to bring one in ten if they if they were farmers and they they raised uh, corn and there were ten ears of corn one ear of corn was for God if they had ten lambs that year one lamb was for God that was just the way they did it. they would just count them off and the tenth one belonged to God and that was just the way it was but the people were not doing that. Now, the way those, those tithes were used were very interesting because sometimes, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it looks like everybody brought the offerings to the storehouse and they had a kind of all-you-can-eat dinner on the grounds. And the Levites, who didn't raise any crops, had something to eat because the people brought uh, th- their offerings. And then sometimes, every third year, it says, they were to take that tithe and go back to their hometown and distribute that to those who had need among them. God uses the gifts of his people in various ways, but they were not being obedient to that. And I, I read this week that um, the average Christian in the United States, and we don't have any average Christians in this room, I know, but the average Christian in the United States gives 2.9%. And we may ask, well, what difference does it make? Well, here, here's the deal. The Bible teaches us three things about our, our possession. It asks three questions. One is, how did you get what you have? That's an important question because there are right ways and wrong ways to get things. And if we're oppressing people or, 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 or uh, mistreating our employees in some way, well, God's not pleased with that. The second question asks is, how are you using that? Are you using it on yourself? Are you using it to help other people? And the third question, the most important question is uh, about um, our wealth is, um, what is it doing to us? <laughs> I would be more specific in their case and say, what is it doing to your relationship with God? And in their case, even the, the gifts God had given them by refusing to give them back had created distance between them and God. And God was not pleased with that. And Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you discovered that? Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we read that, that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I find in my life that the more selfish I am, the more unhappy I am, and the more selfless and giving I am, that the happiest things I've experienced in the last year, for instance, came out of opportunities to give to other people. Last uh, Sunday, Father's Day, I received a gift. Um, I received a tie, the tie that I wore last week from my family. And I also received, Melanie had overheard me say one time, we were walking through the mall, have you seen those helicopters that go up and down? And, you know, the little guy. And I said to her one day, I would love to have one of those. And, and, you know, my wife, she forgets nothing. And she bought me one of those helicopters. She gave me the helicopter. Chase gave me batteries. So I had batteries and a helicopter. Remember the battery story last week? And so, you know, and I was just sitting there thinking about the times when I was a kid and I got cool toys. And I had a brother who was two years older than I. He was much more mechanically inclined. So if we got a race car set or something, he'd say, he would put it together and he would say, now let me make sure it works for you first. And after I play with it, then I'll let you play with it. And it was my toy, you know. And so I'm sitting there holding on to my toy, my new helicopter. And one of the kids says, when do we get to play with it? And I'm thinking, never. Never. I mean, after I'm done, but not before, and, uh, and we're, we're sitting there, and you know, we have this kind of 
standing joke in our family. We go eat lunch after church on Sundays. We have this friend who eats with us a lot of times. As the kids walk by, he'll just grab a french fry out of their, their basket. And they've gotten to where they'll pull their basket away. And then, and then he'll say, what was the sermon on today? And they will say, um, and he'll say, sharing. And then he takes a french fry and eats it. And, and even, even the youngest in our family has met Uncle Dale and, you know, and has experienced this. And so I'm sitting there and I said, you know what, it's, you know, it says for 14 and up and it's, you know, and I mean, I've got to make sure this thing works before I can, you know, and, and the youngest in our family looks at me and says, what was the sermon on today? And I said, fathers. And she said, no, sharing. And so I had to share. And in fact, it was a lot more fun watching them play with it than actually playing with it to see them enjoy that. And I want, I want us to hear him say, when we refuse to give what God has asked us to give, then we create distance between us and God because he's a giving God. Look, we don't need to give because God needs what we have. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We don't need to give even because other people need things. And I, I can think of a lot of people with a lot of needs. Almost every church I know right now, every church, Larry Heslip and I were talking about this this week, almost every church I know is behind in their budget right now. I mean, you give because there are needs. That's, but no, we give because we were created in the image of the giving God and we never fulfill our purpose. We never experience the fullness of joy until we become the kinds of people who give like the Heavenly Father who so loved the world that He gave His only Son. When we refuse to give, we create distance between us and God and the only way to close that gap is is to return to Him and discover that He will return to us, draw near to God, James chapter 4, verse 8, and He will draw near to you. And notice what He says. He says, bring, verse 10, bring the whole tithe. When we return to God and give Him what He asks of us, He gives us everything He has for us. When we, when we hold lightly the things of this world and hold tightly to Him, we discover all that God has for us. He says, bring not send, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He says, don't mail it in. You, you bring it with you. It's, it's why Paul wrote about the church at Macedonia to the, churches in, the church in Corinth and said, the thing about those people in Macedonia is they surprise us because they gave themselves to God first and then they gave even beyond their ability to give. Even more than our stuff, God wants us. And the truth is, if He has us, He has our stuff. And if He doesn't, have us. It doesn't matter how much stuff we give to him. And he says, bring. You bring it with you. Don't mail in your spirituality. You bring it with you. You engage with God. You return to God. Bring the whole tithe. Not, you know, not just a part, but bring all. And you say, well, what difference does it make whether we bring, you know, whether it's 2.9%, 12% of Protestants tithe in the United States, um, 4% of Roman Catholics. That's the statistic. What difference does it make whether or not we bring the whole tithe? Well, Ron Sider has written about this recently, and he calculates that if all the people who went to church regularly, that would be you and I, if we all tithe, that there would be an additional $46 billion a year for ministry, more than we have right now. What could you do with $46 billion? Well, he said you could send 150,000 more missionaries into the world. 
See, this is real for Tallawood. We've sent out three of our own missionary couples in recent years. One, one couple we sent to Wales. One couple we sent to Peru. One couple we sent to the Middle East. Now we have two more couples that want to go. And our, our finance committee, when they meet this summer, is going to be trying to figure out our missions committee. How do we do that? How do we send these couples? And the reality is we care about the whole world. And 150,000 more missionaries could be sent with $46 billion. 50,000 more pastors in their own countries could be trained. We had a pastor last night in our worship service from the country of Ghana in Africa. His son is a student at HBU and, and he has just finished, this father has just finished his education as a pastor. And I was thinking, who pays for those pastors to be trained in the gospel? And the answer is the churches, when they're generous, are, are giving that money to missions so that he could be trained, so that he could pastor that church. And 50,000 more a year could be trained. Beyond that, there, there are six and a half million refugees in our world. And all of them could be taken care of. Malaria could be virtually eradicated. There's a plan in place to eradicate malaria in our world. And it could be eradicated if, if the people of God did what God asked them to do. And you say, well, wait a minute, this is Old Testament. The idea of the tithe. You know the New Testament. This is a biblical church. You know the New Testament well enough to know it. No, nowhere does it say, thou shalt tithe. I, I, I know that and you know that. What does, the, what does the New Testament command? That we love God with all our heart, with all, that word all is big, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Can I ask you, can we look at God and say, I love you with all that I am, and then say to our neighbors, we love you as we love ourselves, but we would not give as much as the Old Testament teaching. See, I can't see that. I think when he says that, that he's not eliminated that command from us. You know, when it, when it comes to giving, I mean, some people stop at nothing, but I, I want us to hear what he's saying, and that is that if you and I will test him, he will provide. He says, let there be food in my house. Take care of the needs. And notice this, he says, then I will throw open the floodgates. What would that look like? What would it look like if God just gave us everything he had for us? See, I don't know. But are you with me when I say, I would like to know. I would like to know what that was like to receive everything that God has for his people. Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Or he says, here's another translation, the ESV says, there will no longer be any need. What if we gave in such a way that the need was eliminated. And he says in verse 11, I'll prevent pests from devouring. I'll Literally, in Hebrew, it says, I will stop the devourer, the one who would steal from you. And I've noticed about possessions that we can become nervous about other people taking stuff from us. I remember when I first moved to Houston, I had a sort of rude welcome. Somebody at IHOP broke out my window and stole my laptop with seven years of sermons on it. It was a kind of depressing and discouraging moment when I discovered that. And to this day, I mean, I can be lying in bed at night with my, and realize that my laptop is in my car and wonder whether or not I've locked that door. And I mean, I'm nervous about it. I'm worried, I mean, is, it, is it gonna be okay? Is it not? Did I put it in the trunk? I mean, I, and here's what he's saying is, if you and I will do what God has asked us to do, we will not have to worry about other people taking from us. In fact, he says, if you're not stealing from me, you won't worry about other people stealing from you because I'm going to provide for you. And it seems to me the more selfish we are, the more we worry about our stuff and the more we give it away, we release it to God. We hold precious things loosely so God doesn't have to pry our fingers away, as Corey Ten Boom says. And I will prevent the pest from devouring, verse 11, and then all the nations will call you blessed. Notice this, it's not just about Israel. It's not just about the church. It's about the nations coming to know God. 
Our kids had a chance to just see this up close and personal. We uh, at camp this year, Jerome and, and Rebecca and Micah, so creative. They wanted the kids to experience exile. We were teaching exile, and so they would always come in after their morning activities from their little campsites to eat lunch. And that day, they sent a couple Camp Eagle staffers out to them and said, you know what, you can't come to camp today. There's a reason you can't come to camp. And they said, well, what about lunch? Well, you don't get to go eat lunch today, but we've got some almonds and some dried fruit and a loaf of bread and some honey. And you can eat that, but you need to go. You need to flee. You need to run. And so they climbed up in the, in the mountains, you know, for 30 minutes. And there they were taught a lesson about exile. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, well, I've got food in my room. I think I'll just, you know, just sit this one out, you know, and uh, sit in the air conditioning. But then I thought, you know, the problem with that is I'm teaching about exile tomorrow morning. And they're going to know whether or not I was exiled. And, you know, accountability is a very strong force in my life. And so I went with the kids and, and uh, we went up there. And, and because uh, there wasn't as much food that day, then we saved about $500, and so Jerome, on behalf of the kids, um, sent that $500 to a missionary in Uganda who is, is taking kids off the street into this little, little home, and we've been participating in that ministry with this young lady named Abby Tracy. She's got a great heart for God. And so after the fact, Jerome said, and by the way, the money we saved today, we sent, and, and the, Abby Tracy was able to buy a cow. And so she's able to milk that cow and then feed those kids so the kids have more food, and it provides for the kids' needs. But silly missionary that she is, Abby Tracy found another ministry that had less than she did, and she gave the cow away. Well, our kids would not let that stand. They were concerned about Abby Tracy and the need for a cow. And so on their own, unsolicited by us, they decided they were going to take up an offering for Abby Tracy's ministry, and they were going to buy a cow. And uh, so they, they started the offering one night, and they had enough money the first night to buy a cow. But they continued the offering. They had enough money to buy two cows. Now there's enough money to buy, how shall I say, a, a, a small herd of cows. Not a small herd of small cows the size of schnauzers, but I mean like real full-size cows. Cows that are, are large enough to meet the needs. And, and the great thing was to watch our kids, I'm on Facebook with a lot of them, and to see their response when they found out how much money was given. And to hear their joy. Because we just got to see a bunch of kids discover the joy of giving away and being a part of seeing God work in the nations. And I don't know what we'd pay for something like that, but to me it's priceless. To see them learn that life is best lived in conjunction with God's great plan for the nations to give our lives away, to discover as the New Testament teaches, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing, trust God to give to you, so if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, you you reap whatever you sow, in fact you reap more than you sow because God multiplies it and you reap later than you sow because uh, God will at some point in the future bless in that way and it's not just material, it's not just monetary. But I wish for all of us the joy of learning what it means in every area of our lives to return to God. What's your area? I don't know. But return to Him and He will return to you. And you will discover what it means to be in the center of His will and His blessing. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your presence in this place. Thank You that You give us the privilege of serving with You Lord, we thank you for your work in this world and that you allow us to be a part of that. We thank you for Abby Tracy and her work in Uganda. We thank you, Lord, for our missionary couples that we have sent out um, from this church and all the missionary couples that we support around the world. 
And I pray, Lord God, that you will give us wisdom to see that you're not just the God of the United States. You're not just the God of Tallowood or the Baptists, but you are the God of all the peoples of the earth and you want them all to know you through the knowledge of relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, until everybody knows, make us faithful, I pray, Lord, like you are faithful to share our lives as you have shared your life with us. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.